Hello and welcome to Three at the Back, the football analytics podcast from OptiPro. I'm Ryan and I'll be your host for today's episode, which will record the day after the fifth OptiPro Analytics Forum. For those not aware, the OptiPro Forum is an event that aims to connect different segments of the football analytics industry with different presentations showcasing innovative applications of data and analytics. We'll share presentations shortly and you can see some of the highlights from the day by uh, searching the Twitter hashtag OptiPro Forum. This year, we continue the theme of having a guest speaker. We had uh, Luke Bourne, VP of Strategy and Analytics at the Sacramento Kings and formerly of AS Roma. Alongside that, we also had an OptiPro Forum first. We were joined by Devin Plula, Senior Analytics Manager at Toronto FC for an on-stage q and I'm delighted that both have joined us for today's episode. Luke, welcome to Three at the Back. Thank you. Devin, Thank you. welcome. Great to be here. How are you guys finding London? Uh, well, it's, uh, I'm, I'm just happy to be back. You know, I haven't, uh, I was, I was blown away in your intro there when you're saying it's the fifth Opta Pro Forum. And I realize I haven't been here in so long because I've, I've, uh, I was only at the, the first one. So I've really, uh, I've just been amazed at uh, how much it's, uh, it's grown really. Yeah. I'm going to try and take credit for that, but I think it's down to, to the presenters and that side of things. Luke, how are you finding, finding London? It's been good. Last time I was here was actually last year's Opta Pro Forum. Sort of on the other side of the table, representing Rome at the time, so it was, it was nice to sort of have a different perspective on it. And you, you got to leave sunny California for a very cold London. Yes, sadly, when I when I moved to California, I left all my uh, cold weather gear behind, so I've been uh, shivering a bit uh, here, but that's all right. And Devin, you should be fine coming from Toronto. Yeah, to be honest, I expected slightly warmer weather here, but it's it's about the same. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get straight into it. Um, yeah, yesterday's OptiPro Forum. Um, you guys have been both been to and spoken at sort of 101 different sports analytics conferences. You've got a real understanding of this industry, not just looking at football, but looking at the sort of wider sports, other areas. As an industry, where do you where do you see football analytics? Where where do you think we're at? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that um, we have um, you know been stuck for a while, not knowing exactly what direction we're going in. I feel like for a long time we were all kind of you know, stuck on, you know, expected goals and kind of what the, you know, you know, kind of the immediate kind of ramifications of that were. But I really feel like for the first time, um, we actually have a, a direction on other stuff, which is, which is great. Um, you know, Merrick's talk was, would did do, you know, some kind of new stuff around expected goals, which I, I think was important. But I, I think the, the large takeaway for me is that, you know, that is not the, end all be all that we've been kind of treating it for a while. So it was pretty refreshing to see kind of a, you know, a newfound direction. Um, I don't know what you, what you think, Luke. Yeah, I think, I think you're bang on. I think if I look, think about last year, Will Spearman had this great talk about measuring passing ability, uh, using tracking data. And this year, there's some really interesting things about uh, measuring uh, defensive pressure and um, of course, Merrick stuff. And then uh, lots about just sort of just new innovative uses, both of event data and tracking data. And uh, I think the emphasis will probably be on some of the presentations, but there are also some really incredible posters using um, sort of really innovative, um, really clever use of statistical techniques to sort of pull really cool insights from from off the data. Yeah, I'd agree with I'd agree with all of that. It feels like this year really sort of got closer to what we've been trying to achieve, what we've been looking at since that first one five years ago, looking at not only the showcasing of applied analytics, but re- yeah, really getting to, okay, how can a club take this, use it, whether that's this weekend or you know next season or in a year's time for example or whether it's a case of getting someone in to do that work appreciate you've got clubs from from league one league two and the champions league mls in the room presentation is not going to necessarily work for everyone but it feels like each had a strong message that could be taken home and, and gone from there yeah i thought so you know there was a i had a whole whole page full of notes um 
for uh for review for later i, I think that um you know there's uh something that I, I feel like hasn't been as great uh, over the last you know maybe year or two or so is that the I feel like there hasn't been as many great blogs and stuff so it's been really great to be here and really take some fresh ideas right um, which is which is fun you know kind of when a new thing comes out you know uh, online it frequently ruins my afternoon because I, <laughs> I have to go replicate it um, whereas uh, this will this will ruin an entire month of uh, <laughs> uh, going back and uh, you know trying to rebuild some of these uh, these ideas that I that I saw the last couple of days. So yeah, it was super useful for me for, for a lot of ways. And as a judge, you would have seen all the all the proposals beforehand and obviously been heavily involved in the selection. Do you, obviously the work evolves a lot as it comes on. Do you sort of see that happening? Do you anticipate that? Or is it sort of so abstract in that first instance that you sort of just yeah, it's almost a waiting game as such. Yeah, so you know, we're kind of talking about like the difference between you know when when you first see the proposals to you know kind of when we've seen the the, the, the speeches. Yeah, I mean I, I think that you know that's what happens with research too, right? You know when when you're putting together this proposal, this you know abstract, and uh, you know uh, I'm not sure if I entirely understand the whole academic process, and maybe Luke can chime in it there. But like sometimes it goes in a little bit slightly different of a direction, right? You know, kind of based on different things or different ideas that you kind of come up with kind of along along the process, right? So it's interesting to kind of see you know how how certain ideas uh, kind of you know uh, formulated. Um, or, you know, kind of evolved over their kind of process. And do you find that as well, Luke? Sometimes when you might start a bit of work, does it does it evolve? Does it end, sometimes end up completely different to, to what you anticipated? Yeah, that happens all the time, especially with, uh, you know, you have a student doing a project or even a PhD thesis, for instance, and you start with some idea. And then typically the way we'll do a project is we say, hey, let's, we have some initial idea rather than building out some fancy model and trying to solve the whole problem at once. Let's just do something really crude and simple and see if we can just see some sort of signal in the data. And oftentimes the answer is no, there's not. And and maybe we dig a little farther and say, hey, that was actually a bad idea. And we sort of step back and say, and we reevaluate. And so that's really common. A lot of times it's it's limitations of the data or we just weren't thinking through the issue properly or there's some sort of confounding that you haven't thought about properly. So that's, that's sort of the research process. You're feeling around in the dark until you sort of figure out where the light switch is. Yeah. And is it a case of sort of you've got that initial question that you try and answer and then if it evolves from there, but it's a case of being focused in that first instance? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, a lot of times you sort of start off with this this initial aim, this initial question, and oftentimes the, not just your proposed solution evolves, but also the question itself you're asking. Because oftentimes, as you explore the data and as you dig into it, you realize actually the question you were asking wasn't quite right, and so you need to sort of reframe it in a way which is either more suited to the data at hand, or maybe it's more suited to, to answer the actual football question. That's important. I think that's a, you know, kind of a great example of kind of what we're seeing uh, in, in terms of like the tracking data now, just in terms of the, the applications. Uh, we, we've been in this dark room for a while and we've looked at, you know, basketball, you know, who's, who's kind of proving that there is a light switch in this room somewhere. And, uh, you know, really feel like kind of, you know, uh, with the recent stuff that's kind of been done in the research space, some of the stuff we saw yesterday really, really are, you know, we're, we're starting to see, uh, you know, some uh, some light for sure. Yeah, I agree with that, particularly on the on the tracking side. It's always been a challenge for for presenters and for analysts to work with that that data set, and it felt like these are some real applicable actions and insights and outcomes from it yesterday. I thought that was that was a real turning point with that data in particular. Yeah, and um, and, and making a particularly um, you know coaching um, 
coaching useful as well, right? You know, I, I think, you know, you, you said at the beginning, you know, how we we're going to really try to focus on your know, application, right? Um, and, you know, I thought the presenters all did a, a great job with, with that kind of stuff, right? You know, proposing, you know, you know, kind of, uh, the, you know, framing types of conversations you would have with coaches based on the insights here, right? And, and that's something I like to talk about a lot is, you know, how do we, how do we strip away actually the, the stats? How do we step away from the, the, the spreadsheet? You know, I don't want to drop, you know, this uh, spreadsheet on a, on a table of the coaches and, and expect them to read that or, or have insight. How do I turn this stuff into soccer language, right? And I think there was a lot of, a lot of good strides there. Yeah, it seemed like everyone or really looked to answer the, the so what question, I suppose, is something that we, we speak a lot internally. If someone's got an idea, someone wants to approach something, I think we always have to look at that so what. I think that's something that probably we found we found more with the case yesterday. Yeah, one thing I really enjoyed is how much effort people put into not just communicating their work in, in words, but also just stepping back and, and instead of a numbers dump, there are so many good visualizations, so many good ways of communicating information, as Devin says, in a really non-statistical way. So there might be some really nice mathematics under the hood, but, you know, they basically sort of figured out what were the things that were relevant to a football audience and they pulled out those nuggets. And I think uh, really, really, that that's one thing that I think was a big step up over last year is the effort people took into visualizing and communicating their information. Yeah, I'd agree with that, certainly. So you both gave talks. Devin, you did a, uh, a Q&A with, with Simon Fran. Um, Luke, you gave the guest talk at the end. I'm going to ask you... Um, almost to essentially evaluate each other's talks. Um, what did you learn from from the other talk? But yeah, rather than go through your own, what did you learn from Devin? What did you learn from Luke's? Um, what have I learned from Luke's? Um, we can even generalize that as like, what have I learned from Luke in general, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel like uh, there's not uh, many other people in this space that I could, uh, you know, learn, learn better from. Um, uh, so much. And yeah, I think that there were so many times, uh, during, during, uh, Luke's, uh, you know, keynote, are we calling the keynote, uh, talk, <laughs> yeah, keynote. um, you know, that's where, yeah, I just found my, myself, uh, you can't see me on the, the audio, but I'm, you know, kind of bobbing my head. Is that because you're falling asleep? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the jet lag is, uh, not, not great, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things that kind of you know really really stuck out to me uh, in particular, um, and and one was the you know kind of plea for you know continuing education, right? And I think that's you know uh, incredibly important in this realm. You know, I think that sports analytics tends to attract people with kind of non traditional backgrounds um, into these sorts of roles and positions, right? Um, so, you know, while, you know, people got into these positions with, you know, great intentions, but frequently not necessarily the best back, you know, the most, you know, comprehensive background and trying to always fill holes with different things was, um, you know, uh, something that I, I try to do a lot. And it was, um, it was uh, good to hear that coming across from Luke. I, I also really enjoyed, um, you know, the, the points on, you know, the, you know, the importance of, you know, presentation, and we've already kind of talked about that today. It's, uh, you know, um, I, I feel like I spend so much time, you know, j just as much time deciding how to present data as I do kind of modeling it, right? Um, because, you know, um, kind of in a, in a, a football applied capacity, you know, you need to kind of you know, take control of every single part of your process, right? And sometimes that delivery part is is the most important. And it seemed like, you know, Luke had a, has some similar similar thoughts there as well. So that was um, it's good to see. Good so to if hear you um, on the same page there. If you've got an idea, you're you know you're working on something in Toronto. Um, you, I suppose, the first thing you want to do is share it with everyone. But is there a bit of a 
do you have to sort of hold yourself back at some stage and say, no, I've got sort of one chance to present this while I want to get this out the door and share with everyone today, I, sh- I should wait and make sure it's right. Is that, I appreciate you're in, you know, professional sport is fast paced. So it's sometimes you haven't got that luxury. Um, um, I think I have that luxury. I'm not sure if I always have that patience. <laughs> uh, I, I think I, uh, sometimes I, I probably could benefit for, uh, you know, uh, doing, uh, holding on to something, um, a bit longer just, uh, because I'll, I'll frequently, um, you know, kind of put out an idea around our kind of soccer intelligence group and, and, uh, Frequently, it doesn't have legs, right? Uh, but also at the same time, you know, when you do that, you learn you learn quickly, right? So it's like, oh, you know, maybe I should do this this way, or I shouldn't have done it in this way, or um, so. So yeah, it, it kind of depends on the project, um, but uh, but it's good uh, having a, a strong relationship inside of your kind of you know soccer departments or your sporting departments, and uh, you know, kind of having a uh, non-judgment zone there is like if I throw out this you know completely absurd <clears throat> idea, you know, they don't think suddenly that I don't know what I'm talking about on other things, right? So it's um, so it's about you know uh, having a, a healthy you know kind of club culture. Yeah, that internal sounding board where you can you can go back and forth, which Luke you'll you'll have as well. Appreciate some clubs may struggle. There might only be one person who's doing this style of work, and then how do they? Where do they go for that advice? Upskilling. How do they? How do they immerse themselves in this? Can always can be a challenge. Yeah, so in terms of Devon's talk, I guess, you know, I've had the great privilege of, of spending the last couple of days here uh, in London with Devon. So I'm not sure in my head if I can even separate the great conversations we've had outside of uh, the forum <laughs> and, uh, and, and his, uh, his, his talk in the forum itself. But, uh, you know, Devon's one of those guys that has, it has this, this incredible skill set where you can talk football in a really meaningful way and he can talk about tactics and, and the details of what's going on the pitch. He can also play really well, which is pretty <laughs> remarkable. And also the, you know, he knows the game historically, he knows the players, he knows the culture, he knows the, the system, but he also knows an incredible amount technically about, you know, you can talk about uh, software development and databases and statistics and machine learning. And there's not a lot of people that have that breadth of a skill set. And so it's just, it's just, there's a lot of insights about, how to merge those worlds and how to um, how to best make that all work together. You know, if you're coming from a technical background uh, like he is, it's sometimes a lot of those people don't have those other skill sets. And so they're not necessarily good at communicating um, to a football audience or don't necessarily have the football background that that they would they would know how to um, really land the plane to a football audience. And so there's a ton, there's a ton to take away from Devin about um, how to have restraint in what you present and how to how, when to when to present certain things and when to hold back and you know what types of ideas are best to present so really rare skill set and, and something that I think we can all learn from yep definitely I'd, I'd agree with that I think um sometimes we can we sometimes perhaps don't give enough emphasis um to the more technical the work goes on in the background we sort of focus on on the sexier side of analytics as you will but obviously you need those foundations in place to be able to bring it to life in the first instance yeah, the other thing is that a lot of times, and I think probably Devin's seen it just as much as I have, is that the football conclusions, it, when you when you dig up, and this actually wasn't the case this, this week, I don't mean to suggest that, but there's been many times where I've seen people who have done things, whether it's vlogs or whatever, and then you go back and you look at the methods, and you're like, oh, they've missed something significant here. So I don't really trust the football conclusions anymore. <laughs> and so that's why I think you need people that have have that broad skill set and, and, and know about you know, confounding and all these sort of things that can arise in statistics, but it also can speak the language. Yeah. You know, spending time, um, 
with your particular data set for a long time is, is, is really useful, right? So, you know, I, I think there is, you know, having data literacy is, is, is a, you know, important part of being a modern, you know, software engineer. Um, but I, it, it, for, for me, I think it's not necessarily just about, you know, being data literate or having some kind of, you know, statistical intuition. It's also just like knowing even the in, you know, intricacies of the particular data set that you're working on too. Right. So, How many um, F24 qualifiers can you name? You know, I, I, I enjoyed your slide there. It was, uh, yeah. I, I actually, I, I could not remember what qualifier number uh, 24 four was but i think it's actually because of my my particular setup I, I have that kind of abstracted away enough that i don't have to deal with it on a regular basis but uh but mostly event ids i probably know enough of those not the, not the qualifier ideas um but uh yeah it, it, but it's funny like like i can definitely name you you know toronto fc's off the team id is 2077 i can name you pretty much every single other mls club by their some of the quiz night isn't it right? and that's that's a, it's a next level of uh you know, I, I can probably give you an MLS Cup game idea as well. Yeah, I used to know Messi's off the idea off the top of my head, and I was using him just to validate because he had so much data. Yeah, and then I realized like validating your your code or your tool with the the best player in the world is not always the best <laughs> idea. Just like everything works on his like because he has full data. So you so then I'd have this list of like ten players, like some of them who missed whole seasons due to injury, and you know all these sort of edge cases. So. On the time spent with data, I think that's that's an interesting point. So Martin Eastwood presented a poster last year using tracking data to evaluate player decision makings. Um, a write-up of that poster can actually be found on the OptiPro website, so we can, we can share the link out from there. One of the challenges we've seen with the people had with tracking data was the time, the time spent with it, the time just being a bit overwhelmed by just how much data there is and how they can bring that together alongside the event data. So I think Martin having that a year essentially to build on that work and what he presented was a real sort of nice end result from how that process, what that process looks like, essentially. Yeah, I, I thought so. It was, um, you know, I, I thought Martin's presentation was uh, quite slick. It really yeah, felt like I yeah. was uh, getting a product demo <laughs> instead of a... Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it, but it really does show how, how long it takes to get kind of acquainted with this this sort of data, right? And it's something that I'm, you know, I'm not familiar with as much as I, as I would like to be. Um, but, you know, for to take a, you know, a brilliant engineer like Martin, a, you know, kind of a year to wrangle it really shows, and I'm, you know, I'm sure he's got a, another, another job to spend time on as well. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I'm sure it didn't take a full, a full year, but... Uh, but just that it, you know, it, it, it really shows that it, it's, it's not a, a trivial data set to play with, right? Uh, but also it is the future, you know, and I, I think, you know, you know, the things that we looked at were, you know, the tracking guys, you know, really showed the future, you know, it's, um, it's not an easy future, right? And I, and I think that came through in, in Luke's talk as well, right? Yeah, I sort of hammered home that, that, you know, mostly I got this start in, in the sports analytics world by working on tracking data. Um, and I was fortunate to have an incredible team of guys at Harvard working with me on on this with this data basketball at the time but very similar looking data as we know have in football and uh, you know one thing I have on my talk yesterday is that these projects are not something that we would just sort of oh let's do that this week and turn it out in a week it, these are projects that take months and months sometimes years um, we're talking about data that's on the scale of hundreds of gigabytes we're talking about models that are complex with multiple layers to deal with all the issues that of sort of spatial discontinuity and temporal discontinuity and you know, you want to smooth over time and borrow strength across players and across space and across time and um, it takes a lot of work and you're talking supercomputers and, you know, days and days of computing time. 
So this is not something that's sort of trivial for the average person to sort of just jump into this raw data. But there's when you get to the other end, there's some incredible insights that you can extract. Yeah, I think um, John Mark, who used tracking data to assess pressing styles and looking at passing lanes, um, he's, as you mentioned himself in his proposal, he said this is a this is going to be a, a time saving, easy solution. And then he started working with the data and realized it was a solution, but not the time, so that, you know, not the quick and easy bit. And, you know, he learned that as he went on. And we're going to take a quick break now. Uh, we'll come back after the break to uh, chat a bit more about the forum and look at um, what's next, both both football-wise and looking at other sports. Welcome back to Three at the Back. So we're going to start this second half by uh, looking at a couple of highlights from the day. Obviously, we've spoken about each other's talks here. Um, so we'll start with you, Devin. Uh, any presentations that stood out uh, or posters and why? Oh, um, I mean, a handful of them. I really, you know, I, I thought I you know, took notes on probably every, every single one to a certain degree. I, I think, the you know, just starting the first one, I really enjoyed Ben uh, Torvani's talk. I hope I'm saying his last name correctly. Um uh, you know, the, the stuff that he was doing in terms of, you know, uh, you know, competition to competition, um, you know, uh, comparison was, uh, was, was really, really very useful and, and something that, um, I don't think is, uh, is talked about enough in the public sphere. You know, every single club does this, right? So everybody's got this model. Um, you know, but because we, none of us really talk to each other that much, or is it necessarily, you know, best practices said, or like a really clear way to do this. And, you know, there's obviously lots of, you know, uh, companies out there that actually provide this service. And the ones that I've seen, you know, everybody does it in a completely different way. And there doesn't seem to be like a real alignment on, you know, um, so it was, uh, it was great to see, you know, Ben's approach. And I really, you know, took some ideas from that, that I think I'll, uh, you know, be, be working with over the next couple, couple of weeks for sure. Yeah. That, that presentation was interesting because as, as Devin's saying, I've done this before. I'm sure Devin's done this before. Um, and I will tell you that I didn't do it that way, the way that you did it, but nothing other than I. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, arguably the way I did it was much more complicated than it needed to be. And just seeing the way he did it, I was like, oh man, why didn't I just do it that, that nice and cleanly? Yeah. And I feel like that's such a, you know, a frequent learning here too. It's just like, it's, you know, sometimes the, the, the simpler way is, uh, not just faster, but sometimes, uh, you know, smarter. And also, you know, and this is kind of a, a trope that I, I, I keep bringing up, but like, it's also frequently easier to explain too. You know, uh, just kind of in this uh, this applied applied setting. Yeah, I think Ben sort of got the nail on the head in terms of all of those things. Looking at things that are relevant to to every team in the room, uh, communicating that clearly, and something that was applicable as well. That approach could be taken and could be used within different team environments. From your side, Luke, obviously Devin's taken Ben, so you, you know you're down to five and posters. Yeah, so the, the poster that sort of stood out there was a, there was a few of them, but the one I really liked was by uh, David Perdomo Meza and Bobby Gardner on uh, basically extracting player styles from, um, I think it was, it was an F9. Feature, it was F9, right? so yeah, the aggregated match data. Yeah, and so they used uh, um, a technique that comes from the topic like topic modeling and, and the text uh, uh, text mining literature called the um, uh, latent recall allocation. And they did some stuff like that to extract out sort of different playing styles that, that teams employ. And what I thought was really cool was, was um, the ability to look at the effect of, on, of players on a given team or managers on a given team and how certain players change a team's playing style when they're on and off. It's very similar to, you know, in other sports, including in football, we talk about on-off splits, which is this idea that how does the team perform or how do they play with or without the player? 
And so this is really standard, for instance, in basketball, where on-off splits are a standard thing. Even plus-minus is an example where you say, how does the team perform when this player's on versus when they're off? Or how many rebounds do they get when the player's on or when they're off? When they're off? And it's a way to sort of say, hey, instead of just looking at their that player's basic stats, let's look at the team's stats when the player and then that player's individual effect on it. But what was cool is that they went beyond just sort of saying, hey, this is the, the player's effect or the manager's effect on the, the raw stats, but they sort of had this play style that they were extracting. And then they were saying, you know, when this player's on, the team plays more of a high-pressing you know, long or long ball style or whatever it might be, whatever the sort of groups were. And I thought it was really insightful. Yeah, I think, um, now haven't you also done some research using NLP in the, uh, the, the sporting space too? Yeah, yeah, we did, which is probably why I was familiar with it and thought it was so cool. <laughs> in a very different context and using a very, very different way. Um, and I guess maybe this just shows, right, like a technique like um, LBA is something that is probably not in most analyst tool toolkit, but... This is an example where um, um, David and, and Bobby used it in a completely different way than I did, but still sort of were able to extract a lot of real insights. It maybe just goes to show the value of, uh, of sort of analysts continuing to, to educate themselves and to continue to grow and sort of expand their, their toolkits. Yeah, I was going to say it links back to, as you were saying earlier, having that, that education, that background and looking to upskill can basically keep, keeps your options open. It means you can open doors, you can explore different routes using different techniques which perhaps you aren't able to do without that sort of technical skill set in the first instance. And sort of looking beyond posters, presentations, um, obviously had a lot of, cl- lot of clubs, a lot of leagues, a lot of federations in the room. As two guys that are, that are sort of the, the, the top end of this, this industry and the work you're doing, how did you, what a sense did you get in terms of what, you know, what's going on in this space from a wider level? Did you find that clubs were perhaps doing more than you expected, had more of an appetite there? How, how was that from your experiences? It was, most of my experience from this came, you know, before and after the, the forum, talking to people um, from clubs and from federations. I think the most, you know, I probably have a different perspective than than um, Devin because I'm coming from basketball, which, you know, I've, I've heard said before that that in terms of the use of analytics, baseball is sort of 10 years ahead of basketball and basketball is 10 years ahead of soccer. And that might, it might be more like five years. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But I had a lot of federations and clubs that came up to me and said, hey, like we're on this path and it's really inspiring to see where we can go. And maybe it seems like it's a tough path to get there, but to see the positive value that we're getting in basketball and to see, well, you know, I think we're all aware of the positive value that we're seeing in baseball, how efficient that market's become um, since sort of the money ball era. Um, and now to see it also in basketball, but also in basketball to see these attracting data and, and how all these, how a sport that basketball is much more similar semantically to soccer than baseball is. And so I think, People had this perspective, like, oh, uh, you know, does 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 all this like money ball insight does it really translate to soccer, right? And I think because that's a that's a much harder bridge to gap from baseball to soccer. But to see it now in basketball, then you say, you know, these sports have a lot of similarities. They're obviously very different sports, but they're both free flowing, uh, have a lot of similarities. And so, um, a lot of people sort of came on and said, hey, this is just seeing this allows me to see sort of where we're going and, and give direction. And I think sort of was inspiring in some sense just for people to see, hey, there is a there is a light switch in this room and, and we can find it. Yeah, and, and, yeah I think that's um, you know, one of the you know, kind of you know, back channel conversations that were kind of going on, um, you know, uh, over the last year um, has kind of been, we're, we're kind of wondering like, you know, is there, yeah, I, I think that we've all seen, you know, probably less, you know, uh, less content coming out of the, the blogosphere uh, over the last, you know, um, you know, year or two. And there's, you know, various potential reasons for that. So I think that 
a lot of us inside of clubs kind of looking at, you know, the growth of our departments and stuff. We're, we're kind of worried about, you know, just finding kind of talents, right? And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, uh, looking at everything that was, you know, the, the, that was done yesterday and the, and the people there uh, that were doing that work, it really did show that there is there is stuff, right? And, and I'm, I'm encouraged by that, you know, and I think... You know, it's, as much as we're talking about this brave new world of tracking, you know, just kind of looking at some of the stuff that, you know, Merrick did, which was completely brilliant with, you know, existing, you know, uh, you know, event data, right? You know, so as, as much as kind of we're, we're heading into the future there and we're, we're being dragged along or maybe, you know, chasing, uh, basketball and the other sports, you know, there's, there still is a lot of smart stuff that you can do, uh, with, uh, with the existing data, right? Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, a little bit of a, you know, question for, for a lot of teams, uh, particularly in MLS, right. It's where, um, you know, uh, we don't have the, as large of departments or, or things as the, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the big name European clubs do, right. It's, you know, so we, you know, there's, there's a lot of low hanging fruit that we can still pick off from, from some of this other stuff. And I'll, uh, I'll definitely be asking Merrick a, a few questions on the, the stuff that he was, uh, he was doing. It's, it's totally really similar to that, though. That the, the talks that stood out to us, the, the ones that we both mentioned, yeah. both use F nine feeds. Yeah. Not even F, not even F twenty fours, right? Which is like, in other words, it's like the aggregated data. Yeah. And people are still extracting like tons of new insights from this high level data. Right. So that's that's really inspiring because I think it shows still how much there is still to extract and to build off of. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I think going back to to earlier, you mentioned. Baseball ten ten years ahead, or basketball it's ten year ten years ahead of football. Do you do you anticipate as someone who's you know within within the NBA and, and the Kings? Do you see potentially football going the same route as basketball? Do you think it'll be a different path? Do you think those they'll end up at the same place? There's there's definitely differing cultures and there's the the trajectory of the sports, just the nature of being in in uh, North America versus primarily based in Europe. Uh, apologies to Devin for that. <laughs> um, there is there is differences, right? And some of that's caused by, you know, we have this collective bargaining agreement and a salary cap and the market just dictates things differently. We don't have this um, because of the salary cap and the nature of sort of the compression on salaries that happens in North American sports. We don't have this sort of super club and the huge disparities. So that creates all sort of different dynamics in, in basketball and baseball and, and American football than you get in over here in Europe and, and football clubs. And so... Because of that, I think it's inevitable that the way this evolves will be different, and it's hard to predict exactly how it will be different. Um, but I think it's safe to say that that it will uh, evolve differently. That said, I think there are a lot that there's a lot that can be taken from those sports in terms of the way that the way that an, even analytical infrastructure has built up within clubs, the way even just the culture around data. Um, and so, oftentimes, you'll hear people talking about it's the data guys or the stats guys and. One thing that's really fascinating, it's probably just a cultural shift that is almost surely to happen. This is one thing that I can probably predict will happen, is that people will stop at some point talking about uh, the data guys or the stats guys, and people will just start thinking of it as information. You know, let's make our decisions based on all the information we can get. And whether that's information like, hey, this guy's 95th percentile and expected goals per 90, or whether it's this guy has a drinking problem, that's both information about a player, and we should treat it both seriously. And so... That's one thing that in, in North American sports is totally true, that we just think about uh, the, the analytical side of things as just information, and we want to make our decisions based on information. And and over here, I feel like this is culture-like. It's the data, and it's somehow 
different, right? And that I, I just sort of, I'm going to put it on recording. That is the one thing I, I can see changing is that at some point the perspective will change. Like this is information and we should be using all the information we can get. Yeah. I think as soon as, as soon as you label someone, the data guy it almost puts them at a disadvantage straight away. It's, they should really be the football guy and just part of that, that wider team that are involved. I think that's something you mentioned, Devin, in your, um, in the Q and A in terms of when you, when you, you know, make sure at, at, even if at lunch it's chatting with, you know, people that perhaps you're not working with directly every day, but it immerses you in that wider space and, and part of that knowledge pool within the club. For sure. I think that, you know, um, we're still not great at hiring, right? You know, I, I think that, you know, I, I was given an unfair advantage by being a, you know, ex soccer player. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, by being able to speak that language is, you know, was very helpful for me and it will be helpful for people after me. Um, um, but also like I, uh, it, it definitely does break down barriers. It makes conversations easier. It, it, it really go, you know, helps on, on so many different ways. And that, that isn't fair. And it's, you know, I think it's our responsibility after having kind of gotten our foot in the door to, to help change that. Right. Um, you know, and I think, you know, there's a, there's a diversity issue too, right. You know, is, is because we're only hiring, you know, ex white male soccer players, you know, is, is an issue as well. So, you know, I, I think that, um, uh, those kind of things need to change. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, you know, having, having a background, uh, unfortunately is like a real, real, real advantage, right? Assuming the, it's a lot of ex players that now go into the wall, go carry on going to head coach management roles, which, which is understandable. Do you think it'll be a shift as the players now having their playing career with access to data, with access to the information as commonplace when they become coaches managers? Do you think that'll see a shift in, in the way this world works? I think so. Uh, how could it not? Um, you know, uh, you know, great example. Like I, I like to give here is like my, you know, my, my sister's college team. Like they, uh, you know, she's five years younger than I am and just growing up in a division one college. Uh, it's actually, actually nice being, she's, she's over playing, uh, in, in Serbia. So it's been nice being on a slightly closer uh, time zone, yeah. uh, while I've been chatting with her. But, um, but yeah, like just, you know, like her, her generation grew up with like data trackers on them during practice. Right. And, you know, they're, you know, they were collecting data and like certain types, you know, number, you know, accounts of certain types of events by hand on the bench. Right. This is a part of that next generation of athletes. Right. You know, I, I think there are some, you know, you know, sometimes it's harder to, you know, get some of the older players to, um, you know, do, do certain things, right? But, you know, the, the younger kids grow up with this stuff, right? Now it's normal to wear a, you know, a, some kind of physical monitoring, you know, thing in practice. That's, you, you know, it's, it's standard for them to get some kind of report after the game, you know, with, with their stats, right? And they're, they're interested in that, right? And there's various reasons why that could be, but there's a, there's just a huge culture change, not just in sport, but I think just kind of in society, you know, like look at how many people are wearing wearables just, yeah. just around, right? You know, it's, it's a part of the future. So why wouldn't it be the part of future of the sport as well? You see this happening in basketball already. I mentioned in my talk that um, our VP of uh, player development is Peja Stojakovic, who was a uh, sort of a Serbian legend and, and played for years in the NBA. One of the, one of the greatest shooters in the NBA of all time. And he will talk, you know, he, he will talk when he's talking about players about, you know, they can score, you know, they, you can expect them to score 20 points per game and 10 assists and five rebounds. And so he, he talks quantitatively about players just as second nature. And 
if you ask him, he'll say, you know, when he was a player, they never talked this way, but it's just slowly evolved. And that's, that's just the way that they, that they discuss the game now. So it sort of has filtered into basketball. And I think you're going to see something similar in soccer. The other comment about, you know, former players is that only in the last sort of maybe five years in the NBA, have you had people that were outside of the sport be hired into roles as uh, general managers. Um, and the truth is it's been really successful. And so I think there has been this paradigm shift like, oh, it turns out that if you hire really smart, you know, business-minded people, you can actually still be successful. And usually these people also know the sport really well, but they weren't necessarily uh, athletes. Right? So um, this is something that is, is really only still really new in basketball as well. So it's, this is a, something that is, I think, common across sports. And in fact, it's something, if, you, if I'm sure you read Moneyball at some point, that, that Billy talks about this, right? They talk about it in the book that, that the reason he was able to get in and be successful is because he was a former player. And so, you know, what, 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 what's the line? It was something like um, Billy Bean was a guy who um, was a player who wanted to be a professor and Paul DePodesta was a professor who wanted to be a player. <laughs> right? And so that sort of that marriage is why it worked. And I think only now in basketball, we're getting people who sort of are professor type, but but are given the reins of a team and, and, and have been quite successful. You see that, for instance, in Houston and Philadelphia, et cetera. Yeah, it's a management problem. Actually, you know, I, I think that you, you I think there's a, enough work done in so many sports at this point that there is very obvious value that you can gain. Right. The question is, how do you implement it? Right. It, it's no longer like, is it possible? It's just how do you do it? Right. And it's how do you give this this team resources? How do you um, how do you appropriately uh you know, ingest their information. How do you make decisions based on this information? That's actually a huge part of this as well, right? I think the insights are there. It's, something, you know, it's gonna, you know, it's a, it's a management problem on how to how to use those insights. Excellent. And we're running out of time, so I'm going to finish it with one last question. Is um, linked to both the forum and and wider space. What would you like to see more of? Um, sort of that. What next? What's next question? But perhaps, yeah. What would you like to see more of? How could this? What's the next step? Yeah, what would we like to see more of? So I think the first thing that I'd like to see more of is, is the culture change around teams and the ability, the willingness for them to talk um, about what they're doing. And what this is one thing that's happened in basketball is that if you think about, you know, what was happening five years ago, teams were just tight-lipped. And at some point, we realized we're all doing the same things. And so there's not a lot of harm in talking about, oh, this is the way we process the data. Or this is the type of technology we use to build our reports. Like, I can tell you the language that we're coding our 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 software and then it's it's not going to give you any competitive advantage over me right 100% so, i think with when devin did the q and a yesterday i think it might have a lot of guys club people in the audience might be like actually this is i'm learning but I'm, you know i'm, I'm not got a better chance of beating toronto this weekend for right. example the, like, you know the two aren't necessarily tied in together yeah like oh we use a postgres database like, <laughs> <Yeah>. oh no it's <laughs> our secret sauce yeah. i just gave it away use this, use this free software yeah exactly <laughs> oh no like yeah I'm telling you, yeah, we use this, we use this amazing open source software called R. <laughs> like, boom, there it is. There's a secret. Yeah. But, but again, it goes to kind of what we were, we were just saying in terms of it's a management problem. It's like, oh, you know, the, the, the tools are, are, are pretty standard. It's like how you use your insights, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, just to kind of, you know, riff on, you know, what Luke was saying, like, I, I really, I, I think in MLS, we're kind of in a unique situation where, you know, just by the nature of, you know, our, you know, the model of our league, we're, we're probably in a better position to do some sort of collaboration between our, our teams. And uh, that isn't quite to the level that I'd like. And, you know, that's down to, you know, uh, 
that's my responsibility to help facilitate for sure. Um, but, but the future, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I think I had struggled with this question in, in the Q and A as well. You know, I, where do I think it's going? I, you know, I think it's just going to be increased investment. I think it's, you know, you're going to see, um, more and more, you know, analytics people becoming, um, executives, right? You know, you're going to see, uh, that sort of stuff. You're going to see a analytics person become a, a coach at some point, right? And, you know, uh, if there isn't already, it's a question of like who you count as an analytics person, which is a, a bigger conversation that's come up with us a couple times, uh, Luke, where, you know, it's like, you know, it's a constant, you know, question between, between analysts at clubs and it's like, oh, how many, you know, how big is your staff? And the answer uh, seems to be always, well, it depends on how you count, them, right? Um, and, you know, so there's a, a continuing blend, uh, a blending of people in front offices uh, between their skill sets, right? There, you got your, you know, you got roster and budget guys learning SQL. You got your video analysts learning how to code, right? And, and that's going to continue to happen and that's going to change this industry as well. And from a more public facing side of things, do you think it's a case, do you like, as your interest, is it a case of seeing uh, new metrics, new ideas come to the table? Or is it, we've got a good set of metrics that are commonplace, but how, how do we apply them better? Is that, is that more of the, st- or of the interest and the focus? Or do you think it's a case of, yeah, let's keep going, let's find these, these new concepts? Well, I think we've hammered on this a lot, but there's no question in my mind that, that the insights we extract from tracking data will more closely align with the way we currently talk about football than current event-based um, um, analytics. And so partially that's because if you hear how coaches and, and media talk about the sport, they talk a lot about space and creating space and creating opportunity and overloads and pressing. And those are things that are much easier to measure directly with tracking data than it is to try and sort of suss out of uh, event data. And so I think that is one uh, area that I would really like to see move forward is, is, is getting information and extracting insights from that data. And, um, you've seen this in basketball already now that we've sort of taken multiple steps and there are things that are actually becoming commonplace. Um, algorithms for, for instance, detecting, um, who's marking who are really standard now. Um, even, even defensive metrics, um, to sort of assign responsibility, uh, for, for shots that are missed, shots that are made. These are things that are actually becoming almost like best practice or standard in, in sport. And I think that's probably something that would help, um, not just help move sports analytics forward, but actually bring, it's weird to think that, oh, if we dump more metrics out, that's going to bring us closer to the actual football side. But I think that that's a case where it will, because the questions you can answer are more closely aligned with the questions coaches are asking. Yeah. And I, I've totally had that same experience. I, I think that the more and more I've uh, dug into the data, the, uh, the closer, um, I've found that, you know, um, that the, the data actually does frequently prove the, the coach is right. You know, their, their intuition is remarkable. It, it really, it really blows me away. Uh, but the, yeah, I, you know, kind of on the, 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 you know, the, the, the progress of the, the, the tracking data, you know, just kind of looking back at, you know, kind of event-based data, you know, the, the unit is kind of the count, right? You know, this, this happened because, you know, this was initially useful because we could count how many times these particular on-ball events were happening. I think, you know, in terms of new metrics that are going to be developed, I think we're going to start counting certain, you know, spatial things, right? You know, how many times does my, you know, uh, right back, you know, overlap. How many times does my midfields, you know, rotate in this very particular way? How many times are we, 
you know, pressing on this particular type of pass, right? So it's going to start with the, the counting of, of the tracking kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of tracking events almost, right? Um, and maybe that's an idea for you guys for, for a hopeful opt to data feed at someday. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it'll, it'll kind of go in that direction first, if I were to predict. Um, and I think in a lot of places, you know, we, we saw some of that yesterday. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, that's, that's what I think the future is headed. Good stuff. I think that's a really, really nice way to end it. Devin, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, awesome. Luke, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening.